question. I don't want any hands raised. I don't want to put anybody in, a, in an awkward position. How many of you believe that God cannot lie? Just keep that in your heart. Now, how many of you believe that all of the word in the Bible is true? Right? Okay. How many of you believe that every word in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 are absolutely accurate? Now, I know that a lot of you are saying, yeah. But I was known, and uh, the label is called a theistic evolutionist. Here's a couple of big words for you. Theistic evolution. Theistic evolution is a term that was given during the 60s. Well, actually, it actually got started back in the 1800s, 1880s, 1890s, during the uh, Enlightenment age. And it was how religious leaders were trying to fit all of the information coming out in the Enlightened Age, the new science, and make it fit in the book of Genesis. So what that was, was here they're saying that, well, in order for the earth to form and all these layers that we see on the ground took millions of years. Millions. Actually, billions in order to form the earth, in order to form the whole atmosphere, all of the galaxies. This is what it said. So, theistic evolution was, how do we make that fit? Well, days in the Bible are actually epochs of time. How many of you heard that? Hmm? So the first day was probably about 10 million years for him to accomplish that. Right? I'm glad I got some laughter on that one. The problem with theistic evolution is this. I'm trying to bring God down to my level of understanding and knowledge so that I can understand him instead of me trying to attain a relationship with the one who is far more than me. Far more than me. Man's whole aspect with re religion, which I came out of, is trying to get God to my level so I can box him in and I will better understand him so that I can do what I need to do for him to love me. So I can get my performance quota established so I know the parameters of what it takes for him to love me. That's man. That's man's wisdom. That's what man does. In the last 30 years, Science has literally brought so much information and so much 
summary of what they've found in science that blows holes in the evolution theory. Now, it develops what science will call two paradigms. You have the evolutionary paradigm, and then you have the Genesis paradigm. The evolutionary paradigm has one limiting factor that is called time. They, in order for their paradigm, their theory to work, you need billions of years. Billions of years. I am not going to, this morning, give you all the data that's available that proves that Genesis, all of the book of Genesis, is actual history. It is not a mythological book that brings out certain aspects of how God actually works. It is actual, measurable history. First of all, you already agreed with me, every one of you, because I know if there was anybody in here that did not answer the the first question, can God lie? Everybody went, no, 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 God doesn't lie. Well, if he doesn't lie, then Genesis 1 is real. God is the one that dictated that. God, the inspired word of God through Moses, when he wrote it down, God said, Moses, in the very first day, this is what I did. Moses, in the second day, this is what I did. Oh, by the way, on the third day, look at what I did. Moses, you having a hard time understanding my day? Well, here, let me help you. I'll make the sun, I'll make the moon, and I'll make the earth. The moon will travel around the sun, or around the earth. The earth will travel around the sun. But in that turning of the earth, that will be a day, and you will recognize as the evening and the morning. You see, God's good. He's not going to leave you sitting there going, what's a day? Are you going to make a day? So he made a day so that Moses understood what a day was, and then Moses was able to take that day and the week and put it into our calendar so that there would be a defining of the seasons. I'm running real quick through this because this one would take me about a month to teach it. But understand that that's what God's purpose is. God will never, ever, ever put you in a place without prepping you first and giving you understanding. Just won't do it. Now, I argued with him on that point when he sent me to New Glasgow, but it took me about a week. (laughs) To understand that I was looking at it in my wisdom and not his. So I had to shut up, sit down, and do Proverbs 3, 5 through 10. Right? Oh, yeah. Don't lean on my own understanding. Yeah, okay, God, I got that now. But we all have to do and understand that. And I'm going to give you some examples. Okay, when we go into Genesis, we have two major events after creation, or three, actually. 
We have the fall. Now tell me something. Before the fall, before the fall, was there any corruption in the earth? You can answer that one out loud. No. All right. Was there any death? And God, you all agree God created everything, right? Well, according, according to the evolutionists, we had a billion years of death and dying. He was making creatures and wiping them out, according to evolution. I mean, he made all the dinosaurs and said, oops, wipe them out. That doesn't sound like a good God to me. It sounds like one who makes mistakes. In order to be a theistic evolutionist, you have to agree. As a Christian, you would have to agree that there was a lot of death and corruption before the fall. Well, if there's a lot of death and corruption before the fall, what the heck about the fall? Just another death. He had billions go on billions of years before, wiping everything out. Well, big deal. Do you see how that undermines the truth of God's word? All right. I'm going to take you on a quick journey to help with a few of these things. How many of you believe that the flood was real? Hands up. I mean, seriously, hands up. It's good everybody put their hand up. I saw a couple at the back, but I won't say a word. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> good old friends, you know, they're going to sit there, wait, what's Bob up to? Hmm? <laughs> the flood, unfortunately, folks, and I'm glad the children aren't here, the flood was not 40 days of torrential downpour. It wasn't. It was not 40 days of the water coming up, bubbling up through the ground for 40 days until the whole earth was underwater. The evidence that's on the earth today, today, shows the scientists beyond any doubt that it was a cataclysmic rearranging of the earth. It wiped out all living beings, all living tissue. I'm going to cite a couple of examples to set this in place for you. Do the research. Get on the internet and go for it. You'll be blessed when you do it. First of all, how many know about Mount St. Helen? Were you alive? I was. Mount St. Helen, 8,000 feet in, in uh, altitude. It had a girth at the base of about 35 miles. And there was a, about mid-range, probably 10 or 12 miles in circumference. And they had the volcanologists there. It was rumbling and going on. They were predicting this and predicting that. And it would blow up through the top because it's a conical volcano. Well, it didn't go any way they were predicting. When it blew, it blew the side out of that mountain. 
And when it blew aside out of that mountain, it sent approximately 150 cubic miles of earth out the side of it. It was only supposed to affect five or six miles from the base of the cone all around it. But when it blew the side out, it went 50 to 60 miles in that direction. In one day, an entire forest and ecosystem was wiped out, and that first layer is registered at 600 feet of depth. After that, there were a couple of other explosions or pyroclastic flows as they talk about it, and it carved out that first layer, made ravines. Little rivers started to flow in as the rain came. Moved down into a lake. You can stand in those ravines today and look up 20 feet. Little brook running through it. To take the scientific geological evidence that has been purported for those that are evolutionists, this depth going down would have taken two and a half million years to form. It took a week. It took a week. There's a major lake off from where it was that blew all the trees into this lake. To this day, those trees are floating around that lake. But if you look at the trees, all the bark is off it. All the bark is gone. So they dove down to the bottom and found coal forming from that bark. Ten years later. Ten years later. Mount St. Helen became a point of reference for all of those scientists who believe the Bible and the book of Genesis. And there's a plethora of them. Excuse the big word, but it's easier than saying billions. There's not that many. But. And they sit there and they look at this and they go, wait a minute, is there anything else we can look at? So they go to the Grand Canyon. When they get to the Grand Canyon, they're looking at Things like this, all right? Ribbons. Now, I put that, that's probably about a half a mile thick. All one consistent type of stone. And then above that is another layer, and above that another layer. Now, here's what you have to take a look at. In between those layers is nothing you have one type of flow and another one right over the top of it, and there's no definition between the two or any separation. It's just there's one, there's another, there's another. It's like stacking paper on top of one another. Now, the evolutionists will tell you, well, that took millions of years. Yeah, a little bit come on, a little bit come on, a little bit come on, a little bit come on. Well, if that's the case, there would be erosion. If you ever look at a delta and you have the flood spring come out and it drops all this stuff, within weeks there's worms and all kinds of insects in there and they're chewing that puppy up and spitting it out and making it really rich and the soil is great. And it doesn't look anything like when it first got dumped there. But the scientists have looked 
through all of these layers in the Grand Canyon, found none of that activity. Not a bit. Not one. Not one iota. And if it was to take millions of years and dropping it down layer by layer, that activity would have been there. But it's not there. It's not there. So they're looking at that and they're saying, well, if it wasn't millions of years, how did it happen? It only points back to the flood. It had to be catastrophic. It had to be. If we go into Genesis, I just have to find it before I tell you to go there. Go to Genesis 7, verse 11. Well, I've got your attention because I didn't get a whoop. (laughs) 20 years it took me to get behind this pulpit, and I've been waiting for a whoop. It says in this, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of heaven were open. Two separate events, one on the earth and one from heaven. The rain came down from heaven. If you read this in the Greek, or not the Greek, the Hebrew, sorry, where it says all the fountains of the great deep opened up, it's talking about down underneath the oceans. And this is where plate tectonics comes into it, but that was really not brought into modern science until uh, the 50s and 60s. Actually, it really took hold in the 70s. But it was in 1940 that scientists went, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe Genesis is real. Because what they had done during the war was to map the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean so that they could track and have navigation for their submarines. And that's when they found the Mid-Atlantic Rift a full line running from Greenland all the way down to the Antarctic. Am I losing something? Okay. Down to the Antarctic, and it's a volcanic rift. And when you look at it, it pushed up and then pushed mountains out this way. From that, they said, okay, if that opened up and they did that amount, is it possible that this could have caused, been part of the flood, yeah. Well, look at it this way. If I have a cataclysmic rearranging of the earth, because I'm going to wipe out all of, the, all of life, I'll keep Noah, I'll put him in an ark, and I'll put all the kinds of animals that I've created in the ark, kinds, we'll get to that in a minute. And I'll protect them because what I'm about to do, nothing's going to survive it. Well, I don't know about you, but I, if, if Noah was able to build a boat, a lot of people there would be able to build a boat. And if it took 
40 days for the rain to come down. I could probably put a raft together, get a bunch of food, and, you know, stroll along in the water. I could do that. Uh -uh. That was not about to happen with God. And there's the proof that Grand Canyon and many other places come to. When you have a rearranging of the entire planet so that you're going to wipe out all life, you open up that channel and you have explosions coming out. The volcanic action was not like Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens was a pimple beside Mount Everest. You had places like Yellowstone, supervolcanoes exploding. And when they exploded, they brought a deluge of a specific rock or a specific type of dust, all molten. And at the same time that's blowing, God's taking the earth and chopping it up and moving it. And when he moves it against the water, huge tidal waves came. Huge tidal waves. And it wiped out life. And there were earthquakes. And there was explosions all over the place. You and I cannot even imagine the cataclysmic event that went on in the flood because it had one purpose, to wipe out all living life. Nothing would remain. Nothing. So as he's moving these continents and the earth is opening up and spilling out and water is coming out and rain is coming down, you would have these huge mud flows, an enormous mud flow, and it would flow out along the ground. And when they looked at that, they said, well, how far would it go? So they looked at these rock formations at the Grand Canyon and find, for instance, the first one covers all of the United States and part of Canada and down into Mexico. And uh, like it, it's all the same rock. You can go down the same depth all over this place and find that same rock. By the way, in the same pristine condition, you find it in the Grand Canyon. All right? Then the next layer on top of that, this is the one I really like. Okay, because it's a Jurassic period, or what the, they like to say Jurassic period. That literally covers all of Canada, the United States, most right down to South America, England, Europe, Russia, right over to the tip of China. One layer, one layer. And it averages 1,400 feet thick. Now think about that. Here's the earth moving. Water's coming over. Boom, a huge explosion under the water. Mud flowing out at a ridiculous rate. And at the same time, the continent's moving and it's wiping things out. If you're in front of that, what's it going to be like? Man, you're just going to be sitting there rolling along with this thing. Have you ever seen a flash flood come down a river? What's in front of it? All the trees and the debris and everything else that gets in its way just pushes it forward. So there should be evidence of that if what I said is true, correct? Badlands in Alberta. 
boneyard of dinosaurs, tens of thousands all mixed together. But it's not only in Alberta, it's in Utah. It goes right over to the Gobi Desert. Right over to the Gobi Desert. Now, it also affected the marine life. That's why you find skeletons of whales in the middle of the desert, all right, down in Peru. Yet, paleontologists will tell you, no, 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 Bob. You see, this was all laid down over millions of years, and the first ones we see are troglites and, you know, uh, nautiluses, and they're all buried in the lower level, in the next level. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've got a continent shifting, and a wave comes up. It's taking everything off the sea bottom. That would be the first wave, and depositing it on the land, and then covering it. Well, why would that sequence be so important? There's a very strict aspect of how you make a fossil. You can't, I know for a fact, you shoot me and take me out and put me out in the river, bury me 10 feet down, put earth on top of me, go back and dig that up 200 years, I will not be there, nor will my bones. They won't. Because of the natural aspect of the earth, with all of the millions of worms and whatever you want, but it actually gets down into bacteria, gets down into all this stuff. It just literally takes care of it. Why? Because God designed it that way. In order for you to have a fossil, it has to die and it has to be buried immediately without any type of life inside it. It has to, boom, get buried, and then stay like that. It can't be access to the air. It can't be access to any of the ground. So that's how you get a fossil. You can't get a fossil any other way. It's impossible. You cannot make a fossil unless you bury it very quickly. Cannot allow air to get to it. The other way that you can make a fossil is with a bog, yeah, and it has certain kinds of acids that are in it that actually preserve. It's like a big preservative. If I want to stay around, don't embalm me, just throw me in a bog and come get me a couple of years later and I'll be all tanned. (laughs) To get that kind of a tan, though, you've got to die, so I wouldn't do that. So all of these fossils had to be buried very, very quickly, or we wouldn't have fossils today. So they get buried, and that's why you have these boneyards, because this massive flow, way beyond anything that you and I can even think about, but only in the science or in the geological record does it show this. And one of the biggest things about it is, I'm looking at this dig in Utah. You ready for this one? No, you're not. I'm going to give it to you anyway. They're digging in Utah, and they've got everything from duck-billed dinosaurs to big herbivores to a few of the little T-Rex boys, and, you know, they're mixing it all up. They've got a bunch over here, a limb over there, and this limb's up this way, that limb's out this way. And it's just a boneyard doing everything else. Well, they found a horn off of a triceratops 
took it back to the lab, got it all cleaned up. And one of the young scientists there said, wait a minute, what's this? Took a pair of tweezers, reached into the bone, and pulled it out, put it under the microscope, grabbed two tongs, and he starts playing with it. It was tissue. Tissue. Flesh. Now, there's not a scientist in the world to tell you, hey, hey, hey. After millions of years, that should not be there. Exactly right. So what does it tell you? It ain't millions of years. It's not millions of years. The flood, when properly looked at, gives credence to all of the book of Genesis. Every bit of the book of Genesis. I'm just scratching the surface. You want to get into this? There's a great... um, teaching method that's out there right now, and there's a wonderful field that's called Is Genesis History? Do yourselves a favor and look at it, even if you want not, because it'll blow your mind and it'll make everything new to you. And what it will do is say, hey, wait a minute, Genesis is real, God's real, and God is God, all right? He's a miracle-working God. Why? Well, because he's the one that put all the galaxies in the star in one day. Oh, Pastor Bob, I mean, some of those galaxies are 20 billion light years away. So what? I don't know about you, but my God can do that. The part that really got me going when I started doing this, and I got so excited when I was telling Pastor Gary, is that it gave me a whole new level of faith when I could look at Genesis 1 as real history. And then it made sense when I'm reading the Bible and the minor prophets and Paul and Peter and James are all using reference back to the book of Genesis as actual history. As actual history. So, okay, I think I have the flood nailed down. Are you going to tell me that two guys can make all the people that are in the world now? Yeah? Yeah? Adam and Eve had a huge family. Well, you know, you had to marry a sister. That ain't right. Well, now it's not. Why? Well, we're in a fallen state. Corruption came into God's design, which was perfect. So when Adam and Eve first fell, the actual genetic code that was in them was still in a pristine state. You were able to have it. A mutant aspect had not developed yet. And they have actually proven that through a little thing called biochemistry, which is the study of genetics. They have proven by looking at two families, taking the male and the female gene, going down through first generation, second generation, third generation. They look at the mutation level of each one and say, okay, over a period of time, This is the number of mutations we would expect. So let's take that back to go to a pristine state. And what would happen? When they did that, and they were finished with it, with all of the new information they have on the uh, geobiodome, it goes back to a single person. Adam. They could trace it right back. And here's the good part. 
it estimates that it's only six to 6,400 years old. Now, that's actually been published in the American and in the British Science Journal. All right? So, you know, here's scientists today proving the book of Genesis. And we as Christians have got to stop worshiping science as our truth and start to worship the Word of God, the Bible, as our truth. I really don't care what the evolutionist says to me. Oh, it's impossible, man. How do we get all of these things? Hey, guy, he took kinds into the ark. He took cat kind, canis, right? He took dog kind, canis. And out of those two, all the breeds came. All right? You know, you look at how they managed to put different dogs together to create other dogs. It was all done by a slight mutation in the genetic code. But here's a good thing that you guys need to understand. How many of you here really understand programming in the computer language? All right, one. You're about... (laughs) The program that God designed for living life is evident in a germ or a virus, as it is in you and me. Same program. It has variations. But here's the good part. It doesn't just have variations. The program itself will reprogram itself in order to make those variations come true by itself. They first looked at it, and they were trying to match up all of the different genetic codes. In other words, let's say these two RNA, these two proteins, they make, okay, they give you blue eyes, or they give you this, or they give you that. But there was a bunch of them running around there that I can't match it up with anything. So they said, well, those are junk genes. Oh, well, hey, scientists have to do something. They find something, can't give it anything. They've got to give it a name, so we'll call it junk genes. They're just there. Five years later, doing more tests and more research, more stuff they're finding out, these genes were there for a purpose. It was a purpose of birth. As the genes were, or the cells were dividing, this gene would attach itself to certain aspects along the helix, and it would say, all right, arms, feet, hands, blue eyes, six feet, Two and a half. All right? But that's what they were for. And they were only for that one purpose. God designed it that way to be that one purpose. There is no way, even in the paleontology record, when you take a look at the drug lights, for instance, that come out, these are little crawling guys that go along black, about that wide. You look at the eyes on them, The eyes are compound, complex eyes. They can see all around. They're all there, all done. Same as a dragonfly. You don't get that out of nothing. There had to be an intelligent life that put that together, and they say that that was the beginning of all life, and it's so complex, it's more complex than you or I. Seriously. 
we were all put together on this earth in six days. And the new geological record is showing it. And to prove the flood, not just in where the bones are left, some of them escaped that a little bit. But if you look at a fully intact dinosaur, one that got buried probably after that first wave was, might have knocked them around and fell down in behind, you'll find that their necks are twisted all the way back. Their feet are underneath them. When an animal drowns, the tension in the neck is to pull it back like this. They're trying to get breath. They die that way. They know that that animal drowned. They got covered, and we found it, all intact. So it missed the big push, but it's there. And that's very few, very few like that. Often found in the sandstone, which is in the top layer. So just in the paleontology record alone, or the geological record, we wind up having a complete explanation of why the bones are where they are and how come we have fish bones and all these other things. Well, we have all these different ages. No, they're just different layers. The first one is the sea, the sea washing up on the land and depositing all kinds of stuff and then burying it. Meanwhile, everybody's running to high ground. And... The Lord just keeps throwing stuff out, wiping things out, moving things around. Here's a little exercise for you. Here's what they've come up with, was they've looked at uh, plate tectonics. They figured that the continents were moving at a rate of four kilometers an hour. That's a, good, that's a, that's a walk. You do that over 40 days, and you have exactly the distance between England and Canada. Mm-hmm. moving away, putting all this stuff up, and they're finding this all the time. Now, here's the last little one I'll give you because I'm running way over time. I could stay on this all day, all night, but I'm just giving you a touch. The next part that we look at in this is the Great Dispersion after the Tower of Babel. All right? They're all hanging out together. Well, why wouldn't they? I mean, I don't know about you, but if you've gone through a cataclysmic act like that and you're still hearing the rumblings, all right, you're actually watching mountains being made before your eyes because the continents are still coming together and the mountains are still going up. Science has proven that probably during that period of time that mountains would increase by 10 to 12 feet per day. Hello. And then if you read the flood victory, when he sent them out a year later, he sent them out and he said, go eat. All right, let the animals go out and do all the stuff. Well, God had to replant everything right away. Right? Where did it come from? Well, I know Noah did not take enough seed to plant the whole earth. Didn't do it. God did. God put the trees back in and so on. Because I always wondered when I was a kid, how did that dove Find an olive tree. Did God forget one? (laughs) No. God replanted it. He brought back to to Noah, and then Noah made the mistake, sent him out again. He said, ain't coming back. Found my tree. I don't stay in that tree. 
Well, the same thing happened with man. You come off an ark after something like that and nothing alive. You're looking at a brand new world. Have no idea what to do. You don't want to hang out with each other. All right? So they did, and they started to do the Tower of Babel, and God said, hmm, I need to get them dispersed. So he came down, shut them out, and dispersed them. Well, now, Pastor Bob, how did they walk across the Atlantic Ocean? Well, they didn't. Here's the good part about that. When you look at that the deep opened up, the volcanic action coming up through the water, raising the water up, big waves going up on shore, washing things out, doing all that. The volcanoes are hot. They're not cool. They're hot. They literally heated the ocean up. And then what happens is all that volcanic ash got up around the whole earth, blocked out the sun. So the land was cooler, right? The land was cooler. But the ocean's hot. So it comes up in mist, hits that cold air, and falls down on the earth as snow. Falls down as snow. And by the way, it doesn't quit. It took 500 years before it started to melt. That snow kept coming up, kept coming up, and the ocean levels dropped. Natural land bridge between Europe and England. Natural land bridge between Russia and Alaska. Natural land bridge between Norway, Iceland, Greenland, North America. Well, it's not in the Bible. You didn't read the book of Job. Job's looking at Hermon seeing all the ice and the snow, Mount Hermon, the glacier on Mount Hermon in the Bible. When we truly read the Bible and don't blank out things that don't make sense to us, we begin to see the fullness of God, the power of God. All right. So, Pastor Bob, explain to me the Grand Canyon. You started with it. So how did the Grand Canyon form? Because they said that river carved it out. You're saying that it could do it in a couple of days. Well, that's a pretty big canyon, isn't it? Well, if you look at the geological shape of the United States, there's a bowl just past the Grand Canyon. When something comes up, water will pool wherever that is. So you get this, and it's in this basin, all right? All the water as the land rises. It's still very wet, but there was a weak spot down in Colorado, probably a mud dam. The pressure of that water was against it, and it broke. When it broke, that volume of water that covered half the continent of the United States left in a hurry. And it went down, and literally, it carved out the Grand Canyon. And people say, well, that's not true. Well, it is. Go take a look at the Hoover Dam when it had flooded or gotten to a point that it was really stressing the dam. They had to open up a flood flow valve, which came down through a tunnel on the side. One day, and it had concrete, reinforced concrete, 10 feet thick all the way around. And one day, that force of the water alone destroyed that tunnel. They had to rebuild it. 
it just took everything with it. Water has a force, and when you back it up, it's just amazing. The Ice Age, 500 years. Any climatologist will tell you, can't go beyond that. Well, if all of that happened that way, do we still have evidence of it? And I look at it this way, and I'll leave this with you. Have you ever watched pea soup come to a boil? Have you? No. Just take it off the burner and set it aside. Does it stop right away? No. It's eventually just... Anyway, do you think it's all done? No. And then we're all set to put it in the fridge? Well, believe it or not, that's the way the earth works. When we had that cataclysmic flood, when all of the earth vomited, I'd like to say, like just right from the right from it, just everything coming up, moving things around. Oh, wipe you, buddy. You're up. You're out of here. Well, it took a while for it to cool down. It took a while for it to settle down. And what scientists did in our day and age, looked at that volcano went in 1822, then it went again in 1949. That's the distance between the two. Must build up pressure and then back that up. That became their timeline. Well, we now know that the distance between those two at the end of the cool-down stage has no comparison to the cataclysmic action at the beginning. They had a straight line of time, and God had a curve. Now, science is good. Don't get me wrong. Science will help us understand the mysteries that are in the Bible. They'll give us the how but they can never, ever give us the what. What is history? The only way history is given is written down by eyewitnesses. It's the only true history. God was there. And he told Moses what he did and what had happened. And Moses wrote it down for our benefit. My God created the galaxies and all the stars, all the planets in one day. My God created life so complex that even engineers say, there's no way that that could have started from nothing. You had to have a design to work with to make it. You had to have intelligent knowledge. I no longer even fight or argue with people who have closed their minds to the truth of God's Word. In this day and age, and where we're at, where things are gone, they have lost their anchor. And that anchor is the true history of the book of Genesis. And when you do that, then modernists can say, well, that was an epoch, that wasn't really written correctly. Well, you know, listen, um, you know, talking about same sex, well, you know, that, that's not written there. This word's missing. They can instill their opinion onto fact and change the whole thing because your faith is not in the truth. You start to celebrate science over the truth of the Word of God. I, I was one. 
actually taught it. I had to repent because it weakened who my God is. And then I understood who God really is. Then the fear came in me. Yes, it's all, but I don't want to mess with somebody that can do that in a day. Uh, I don't want to be anywhere near it. The evidence is all around us. Science is finding it. It's a wonderful thing for everyone to take a look at. I encourage you to go and look at is Genesis history. It's a wonderful research showing Christian scientists who just get down and give you the simplest truths, show you the neatest things in in our geological history and show us the neatest things in all of creation, and it just brings life to you, and it'll excite you. It'll excite you. Man, I'll tell you, now when I pray for healing, uh I know it's done. Like, forget it, you know. Oh, no, you've got to watch it. No, 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 no. I know my God. I know my God. He made the earth and the moon and the sun, and he made it in such a way, it's the only way that has ever been observed by anybody in astronomy. It's exactly the right distance from the sun. The moon is exactly the right size, so it will literally block out the sun when it's in a certain orbit. The moon stays in a horizontal orbit, never moves. The distance is exactly the same. The amount of mass to the moon, to the earth, acts as a gyroscope to keep the earth on its axis so it doesn't wobble. The only planet in everything they've observed. Jupiter's six or five moving around, and Jupiter wobbles all over the place. And that's done so that you can have life. It's so well balanced that I can freeze in the Arctic and I can bake in the tropics. That's our God. That's our God. That's the God I serve. That's the God I love. That's the God that does what I ask because Jesus made a way for me to go into the throne room boldly, not cocky, boldly in the knowledge of his love for me and say, Dad, I need some healing. And no, he's going to give it to me. He won't keep it. He won't keep it. After the flood, he said one very important thing. The Noahic covenant, I shall never again, ever again, shall I wipe man out. So instead he said, I think I'll save you. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That is a scratch, an overview. It's nowhere near the depth of the amount and abundant information that is out there to prove God's word is true, God is real, and all the scientists in the world cannot duplicate one thing that God has done. Now, they can help us understand the how, but they can never tell you the what. Only history can. Genesis is true history, used by our minor prophets, major prophets, 
by our apostles, by the disciples. They all referred back to the book of Genesis to encourage us with the news of the new gospel. Genesis is real. Genesis is real. Anything other than one day to create something ain't God. God can do it in one day. One day. And one day, one touch, he can heal you. Why do I take so long to get healed? Because I'm in doubt. And I don't mind telling you that time's come of doubt. You know, why is this going on? I'm supposed to, well, Bob, you didn't believe me in Genesis. Oh. All of Scripture is good for correction, direction, and reproof. I got corrected. Well, I've kept you long enough. Everybody's sitting there licking their lips thinking about Swiss chalet, so I probably should let you go. I'm glad you sat and listened. Your faith, I hope, grew. Your foundation, where there was a crack, I hope, got filled up to shore you up. Now, do me one favor, and, I, and I'll, I'll finish on this. I'm like Pastor Gary. I made several attempts at landing and missed it. Pastor Bob, how do you live in this last day? I get so upset with what people say, even Christians saying the wrong thing. And it just takes my peace. It takes my joy. It takes all my stuff. It took mine. What, what am I here for? Why? And God said, Bob, go to Revelation 22.11. You guys can do that too. Revelation 22.11. Because I know God is God, and because I know the book of Genesis is real, and because I know God can do anything in one day, Pastor Paul quoted my favorite verse that got me back on track. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is what I do. I speak daily. But Revelation chapter 22, verse 11, this is how you and I as Christians are to live in this day. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him, let him be filthy. But he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. In other words, you keep your eyes on Jesus and let God deal with the rest. Don't let the world steal your peace because the joy you have that you walk in will attract them. That means I'll have to go and stand on the street corner and note tracks. Ain't going to work. But I can walk with a smile on my face, never get into an argument, and look at them and say, I am so loved, can I give you some? (laughs) You attract flies with honey. Thank you. It's nice to be with you all. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. 
For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.